HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Byright, a family-owned San Francisco-grown market. For more information, visit byrightmarket.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. It's 12 o'clock. That means it's time for What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. So today we are going to go back to a subject that I've covered like four or five times now in like the last three or four years. My guest is one of my very favorites of all time. Her name is Amanda Hitt. She is the director of the Government Accountability Project's Food Integrity Campaign. Amanda oversees the Food Integrity Campaign operations and is responsible for... uh, ensuring that the Food Integrity Campaign fulfills its mission of enhancing food integrity by facilitating truth-telling. That's why her um, email address is whistleblower.com. <laughs> to, this, uh, to do this, Amanda works closely with partner organizations, clients, legislators, and the media to alter the balance of power between the food industry and consumers. She acts to protect the rights of those who speak out against the practices that compromise food integrity, what we're going to be talking about today, that is, and empower whistleblowers and food activists uh, all over the country. She has a master's in public health from Johns Hopkins and is admitted to the bar in Washington, D.C. and in Maryland. Welcome back to the show, Amanda. It's great to have you back. Um, I've missed you. Oh, I know. It's been so long. It has been a long time. But, you know, you were my very first, like when I first started covering hemp, which is what we're going to talk about today, um, you, I think, were my first guest to talk about that, in fact. And uh, and now a few years later, here we are, we're still talking about it, which is amazing, um, but unfortunately true. Um, so now hemp, which has passed through uh, the poultry phase and is now in the pork phase, um, uh, tell us about the petition that you and Government Accountability Project put together to um, kind of pull the teeth of hemp uh, on change.org. Well, this is what's, this is what's happening with hemp, H-I-M-P. I, 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 I'm bad with pronouncing it. People think I'm talking about something else. And then they're like, who could be against hemp, right? I mean, but I'm, I'm in fact, against H-I-M-P, hemp. And yes. um, what we're what <laughs> yeah. we're doing is I know right. So uh, what we're doing is we're asking Jeff Edinger, the president of Hormel, to slow his stroll 
and uh, slow down line speeds for pork at right. Hormel plants. Right. And when I, I say slow down line speeds, I'm, I'm not talking like a, a, you know, like five hogs per hour. I'm talking about 20,000 pigs a day or 1,300 pigs per hour. Yes. And the current model, what they're doing here is they're increasing the speed. At the same time, they're reducing the presence of government inspectors yes. and seating over uh, over the inspection duties over to the plant personnel themselves. Let's so, uh, wait, wait. Before we it, let, let's 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 back up for one second. Hemp stands for HACCP. Tell me. Inspection HACCP models inspection program models program project yeah. rather project project, project. right right. HACCP inspection models project H I M P and 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 what's a HACCP of course right there's an, right. it's a it's an acronym within an acronym an acronym which makes me of course think there's something to hide if you're using acronyms <laughs> within acronyms yeah and uh, and HACCP means hazard analysis and critical control points right and that so, is an inspection model that we have nationwide in every slaughterhouse pretty much at this point correct yeah, and, and it makes it's it's a it's a preventative approach. It looks at the in, entire process mm-hmm. uh, rather than the end product, and hopes that it can identify certain vulnerabilities and and um, reduce the possibilities of biological biological chemical or physical camp- contamination. So it's not it's not a it's it's not a bad thing, but even even HACCP needs to be administered, and and, and you you still need meat inspectors to do that. So right. it's not like it's not like you can flip a switch and, and have inspection just, you know, automatically taken care of with, without any input from the federal government. However, with HIMP, with hemp, it looks like that's exactly where we're headed. And yes. it's a little disconcerting because it's, it is a recipe for, for, for disaster. And we, we have meat inspectors who are, are, who are, you know, rising up and saying, look, you, you can't do this. I'm in charge of enforcing hemp, and I, I can tell you that it's not working. And, and that's, what, um, that's what spurred on this petition at foodwhistleblower.org, which you, which you, men- which you mentioned. And, um, and that's why we're, we're getting animated about it and getting excited. And we just don't want to see this, uh, this program go any further and, and um, make it national. And yet it did go further in the poultry industry, right? I mean, they didn't. They didn't uh, jack up the line speeds to 190 birds per minute, which they had threatened to do. From I think it was one. It's gone from 140 to 175, if I'm not mistaken. And they did want to take it to 190 or 95. Um, but the the other pro- aspects of of the the hemp program uh, have been implemented in poultry plants. Is that national, or is that just still sort of in the pilot phase and rolling out more slowly? It's 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 in the pilot phase and rolling out more slowly. It's not it's not without cost uh, to switch over to uh, hemp and poultry. Uh-huh. And I just you know just to just to just to be clear, um, the the line speeds it was originally 175 was the push, and then through some heavy duty lobbying and advocacy, it was brought down to 140. Okay. Which in some Thank ways, you. I mean, yes, we it's the hemp model is is now available. Like it can go national, it can grow and expand, but at, at least we've got some. Um, some control over the speeds. That's different from what's happening in pork, and I think that's important to, yes, to I, note. Yes, I want you it, to make those uh, those differences clear. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, it's it's the wild west, and Hormel's doing whatever <laughs> whatever it wants, and at whatever speed it it can. It, it's literally what the walls can hold. That's wow. the only thing that's slowing them down. Is the 
the space between the walls, just how much you can stuff in there, how many uh, workers you can stuff in, mm-hmm. stuff in an area to, ins- to, to do this sorting process. So it's, um, it's, it's really, um, in many ways, it's worse than, than poultry, uh-huh. um, just it's especially in, in, it's in, the, in that it's kind of ludicrous and ridiculous um, that anyone could allow such a process to happen. Um, but, you know, here we are, and we're discussing it, and we're back at this <laughs> hemp thing again. Yeah, so. amazing. And, you know, I had the Government uh, Accountability Office. Is that right? The GAO? Is that That's right. Yeah. Um, they came on a, like a year and a half ago to talk about uh, why they were slowing down the process in uh, or slowing down hemp implementation in poultry. Um, and, he, you know, it's just amazing to me that the whole thing has not been thrown out as as being a flawed program with flawed science, which was why GAO slowed it down in the first place, as they said that the data that had been collected in the five pork plants and the 20 something poultry plants was flawed, uh, was not conclusive. Inclusive, et cetera, et cetera, in showing uh, that it reduced the amount of pathogens and contaminants on on uh, carcasses. So let's let's move on about um, and talk a little bit more about the because pork is obviously our, our subject today. So you're talking about they are stuffing as many pigs into the into the plant as they possibly can, as many workers as they can. Um, and uh, you were approached, if I understand this correctly, you were approached by four or five USDA inspectors who had serious concerns about hemp. Uh, tell us a little bit about those inspectors and um, the affidavits that we're going to subsequently talk about here in a minute. Well, I'll just give you a little uh, a little backstory. Yeah. It, it's it's we were approached by many more than four or five inspectors. Oh, I see. It was only four inspectors who decided to go public with affidavits. So just to be just a little clarity on that. Thank it, you. Um, over over twenty uh, hemp pork inspectors have contacted Gap in various wow. different ways and forms to uh, to 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 express their serious concerns about this program. So and, and now you say, well, twenty. What's twenty? Well, there's only maximum you know maybe forty five of these inspectors inspectors at all. I mean, there's only five plants that are operating under this pilot hemp plan. Right. And, um, and so to get over 20 of those people talking to us is significant. And I, I bring that up because the USDA is trying to, you know, minimize the significance of, of, of our four affidavits. Well, it's not just four affidavits. It's many more people speaking up and having concerns. Now, the USDA, I do want to give them credit. They said there are, there are probably those people who don't have a problem with hemp, those inspectors who don't. And I agree there probably are but there are there are over 20 people who are really pissed off about it mm-hmm. and that's who we've been talking to and those are the people who with the, the greatest concerns and that's who we're speaking on behalf of as an organization so just to be clear about that so yeah, who are no, these four people mm-hmm. uh, for these these are uh, four federal meat inspectors who um, came through us through um, an investigative process we do investigations here into um, any number of wrongdoings and violations of what we call food integrity uh, which is beyond food safety to include labeling and animal welfare and things mm-hmm. of that nature environmental impact and worker rights so they came to us and we in- investigated them we fully vetted them uh, we spent hours talking to them worked with them on the creation of these affidavits and um, and they they brought this information to us and and uh, you know obviously we can discuss more about what what was what was in those affidavits but the resounding and and sort of baseline thing that we're all talking about is that it doesn't work and that's really um that's what that's the takeaway from these affidavits absolutely incredible so um you know i read all the affidavits uh and i was struck by um 
about there were about five um, issues that came up in every single one of them. Uh, the first one was that there's no training for the house for the in-house inspectors, and um, and the in-house inspectors. Let's explain how they are expected to take over the USDA federal inspection process. Like, you know, normally, what kind of training does a USDA inspector have that that you think is not being given to the in-house, or that they are saying is not being given to the in-house inspectors? Well, I mean, a USDA inspector will go through, you know, trainings throughout the the course of his or her uh, career. So right. it's an updated thing in that they uh, they they they've been trained on how to um, identify and stop pathogens. They've been trained on um, you know what what things could could be contaminants mm-hmm. and how to properly identify those contaminants. And a lot of problems with the workers is they're they they're not even they're unfortunately not trained how to identify the contaminants so to, to actually catch the culprit is is not a, is not in in the cards i mean they're not um, examining the viscera correctly or uh-huh. the lymph nodes and and these are um, areas where you anticipate and expect higher levels of pathogens so there's some great concern about their their technique uh, alone and that's there's no there's no USDA guidelines for them there's nobody over overseeing how they're doing their what I'm air quoting over, over here I'm uh, inspection what they're yeah. what they're <laughs> calling inspection so it's really again it's it's anybody's guess what's happening whether in, in with the USDA inspector you have a highly regulated person who's been through trainings and it's you know it's it's all um, you know consistent and and you know what you're getting and they they know what they're doing and right. you're not seeing that with the workers and I do just again I keep on taking these pauses for you I, these are little caveats that I want to point out we don't have a thing against workers there's not we right. don't want a worker out of out of his or her job we don't want a, a, a worker blamed for for any of these um, for for a potential out, outbreak I mean these workers care very much about their jobs and they want job security and they don't want to be hurt or harmed and and we don't want to do that in any way we just want to make these plants safer and we want to make them make sense and that's a you know that's a big deal because um, I, we're not out there you know we're not going against Hormel hoping to you know uh, get get make 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 people be out of a job. I mean, that's, right. that's not our goal. No, of course so, not. Um well, no, I think everybody understands that. But I mean, I, I think that, you know, once again, what we're seeing here is the uh, profit over people uh, aspect of the meat industry, which is uh, sadly a, a, a signal or a message that they send over and over again through a variety of different ways. Um, the other thing that struck me that was universal in those affidavits was the lack of support for USDA inspectors. And I want to talk a little bit about that. So lack of support for the USDA inspectors seemed to mean that uh, management of the Hormel plants in question um, was not, um, I don't know, they weren't responding to the concerns of these inspectors. Can you, can you amplify a little bit on what they mean by the lack of support? Yeah, there's a couple things going on. So you've got the, you've got the plant, which has, has power over its own product and the meat inspector, which is there to, to govern um, the 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 plan itself. So, mm-hmm. and then the meat inspector has his or her own chain of command too. And we're having a problem on both ends. So, the plant not respecting the meat inspector in the in the USDA itself, the the system that is the USDA, sort of failing to uh, to to bolster what's what's happening. You know, their claims of the of their own inspectors. So. What we're having now more and more, and this is just general from our whistleblower perspective, what we're having more and more 
are the plants are actually advocating for discipline against the inspector. So if an inspector is giving a plant, the plant trouble, the plant will actually go up the inspector's chain of command and, and ask, for, um, ask for that inspector to, to be removed. In fact, we, this is a little bit different Jesus. outside of the world of hemp, but we had an inspector, his name is Jim Schreier. He was uh, making, uh, voicing his concerns loudly about humane handling and the, the stunning of pigs in a, in a slaughterhouse. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he piped up one too many times, and the plant itself went to his supervisor, his USDA supervisor, and had him transferred 120 miles away from his home. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, you're, you're, so what we're saying is, yeah, there's, there's some lack of support. There's some, there's some obvious lack of support. So, um, wh- so that's why we had over 20 inspectors come to us, right. but only four voiced, uh, voiced their concerns in an affidavit, and one actually went public. And just so you know, that one that went public, the yeah. one that was a named uh, gave the name to affidavit. He was he had just retired, so he felt more comfortable like he could because he doesn't have the support to speak out safely against his own agency. And that's not an accident. I mean, that's a culture, that's a system, and it's something that needs to be addressed. Absolutely, okay. I think that's Matt. probably the most scary part of this whole thing is that even the agency that is supposed to be regulating this uh, is is uh, basically failing to do its job by supporting their inspectors. Um, you mentioned earlier the lack of consistent standards, and that was something else that came up in the affidavit across the those affidavits across the board. Um, so, in a sense, like these, every plant seems to have a slightly different method of implementing hemp. Is that what I'm reading in that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So how can <laughs> yeah? So how, how does that it, happen? It, it, this is the this is the part where you should your stomach should start to turn, and you yeah, should kinda. you should you should point and click and say no to Hormel. Just you, you sign that petition because this is the ridiculous part. So let's say there's one one of these five plants um, will say that a hair that is under one inch is an acceptable hair to remain in your food. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, like, a, you know, the pig's hair is still yes. on. And you say, oh, okay, well, you can have an inch. And the next plant would be like, well, then maybe a half an inch. So there's just really the, the things like that. What's, what's too much toenail? What, you know, yeah. what's too much toenail? All right. What's too so, much erysipelas? Yeah, no, I... Uh... Yeah, what's too... <laughs> I mean, just saying that name makes me kind of queasy. (laughs) (laughs) Yummy. Problem, right, so there's no so so there's no cap on the speed. The the you know you got the 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 prisoners guarding the guarding the the jail, right? Or right. The, the, the you know so yeah, you got not the fox in the hen house but, is what you got. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's fox guarding guarding the hen house or boar guarding the sow house or yeah. I don't know what you want to call it, but um, well, we no- got a lot of. A lot of issues. We here. did see. Uh, I did see a lot of mentions of the uh, quote unquote other consumer protections or OCPs, um, which you were just mentioning, and that would be the hair and the toenails and the diseased skin and the abscesses and the various other uh, attractive aspects of uh, porks, uh, pigs being raised in the confined area feeding operation model that is so prevalent in the United States. Um, I, I don't really understand how how uh, OC how letting. <laughs> 
without letting that stuff uh, go through the line, uh, which they claim is going to get caught down at the trim line or something like that, right? Isn't that what they were saying? It's like normally some of the affidavits said that uh, normally that would be sufficient to either condemn or or take a a carcass off the rail. But in this case, the plant plant management itself is saying to the USDA inspectors, you need to um, forget about those things. Don't worry about them. They'll uh, take care of them down the line somewhere. Um, uh, How often do you think that happens? Well, I mean, they, 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 there's a name for it or a phrase for it. It says they, they tell the inspectors, let the system work. Uh-huh. You know, don't worry about it if you see it. The system will work it out. It'll clean itself throughout the system. The system is created in such a way that someone somewhere will catch it. Uh-huh. Well, that's just that's just not a that's not a workable model. I mean, we don't we don't operate in the business world like that. I don't I don't operate that way, you know, as an attorney. Like, let me screw up the complaint and hope it washes out in the end when the jury gets it. You know, it's right. it's, 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 a, it's a BS model. And in you know, so you're talking about this stuff coming down the line. It, I just want to put this in perspective. I cannot express enough how ridic- ridiculous this is, and and how we should sort of universally be opposed. To, to this 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 high speed inspection model, these inspectors and the plant sorters too. The, the inspectors are asked to to inspect eighty three pounds of meat per second. Yeah. Eighty three pounds per meat of meat per second. How does this work? How does it work? And the, and the answer is it doesn't work. It right. actually doesn't work. And that's what these uh, affidavits say over and over again. That, yes, they do. That, you know. There's hair and toenails, and all of these contaminants are ending up in in in, in your your food in your products, you know. And um, and it, it, it's like who who you know. I don't know how many of your listeners eat spam. I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably not many of your listeners eat spam, Thank but. You. But they, but they might they might be spam eaters. Well, it's very it's, hipster. It's, it's very hipster friendly spam right now. Oh, hipster! Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not so hip. I guess. But but you no. I mean, it, you're way it, hipper you know, than most, you need to be. Actually, <laughs> I, I need to start. I need to start eating spam. Is what you're saying? But I, no. I really can't because I'm too busy uh, being mean to Hormel to eat their product. <laughs> I I just I can't stomach that. I not only can I not stomach spam, I can't stomach the idea of of uh, of supporting. Hormel at this point. Oh but, yeah, no kidding. But well, what's in spam? Well, you don't you don't know what <laughs> you think you know what's in spam. This high fat food, but you 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 really don't know how bad it really is until you read these affidavits, and then you start to think like, do I really want to eat this pork penis? Like, do I really yeah. want to do that? Like, yeah. and I, you know, I it, it's good luck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do I really want to eat ground toenails for bristles? Do you really yeah. want that? Yummy. Yeah. Um, you know, I was really struck by one of the affidavits which said uh, that that stopping the line one too many times, and you alluded to this already, but I just want to go back to this again, like the punitive aspect um, that they these guys can actually be sued for, quote unquote, impeding the right to do business if they rail off too many carcasses. Um, and say, no, those are not acceptable for human consumption. I mean, you know, the idea that they that the USDA itself can be sued by Hormel, like something is very wrong. There is, like a, a, some, there, you know, <laughs> some balance of power has shifted in a very dangerous way, I feel. Um, and is that, am I accurate in saying that that's what can go on here? These guys can actually be sued personally? Or do they I, get, or is the agency the thing that's being sued? 
Well, I, I think I, I think it's 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 more important. It's it's not that it, it hasn't been done. Not to my knowledge, I've never heard of it be, being done. It's just it's putting that meme into the air. It's just it's right. putting that into the ethers and 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 letting creating an inspectors a fear of doing their jobs right. because of of retaliation from the from the plant itself. So um, whether it's being done or not, that that it is it is considered. In, during their day at work, yeah. well, will I will I get get sued for this, right. or will the agency get sued for this? Well, that's enough, and that's a level of that's a type of power, and yeah. and, and that's, that's intimidation, that's imbalance, straight of power. up. Yeah, right, right. Um, we're going to take a short break, uh, Amanda, but uh, stay with us, listeners, and uh, we'll be right back with Amanda Hit from the Government Accountability Project. And today's break song is called Intrigue by Obesity. This is What Doesn't Kill You. Today's program is brought to you by Byright, a family-owned San Francisco-grown market. For more information, visit byrightmarket.com. BuyRight is a family-owned and San Francisco-grown market that is passionate about creating community through food. From organic farm direct local produce, sustainably raised meats, and artisan cheeses, to food-friendly wines, house-made foods, and dinners, BuyRight is an essential San Francisco destination for any food lover or cook. And no trip is complete without a visit to the renowned BuyRight Creamery and Bake Shop for a scoop of salted caramel ice cream. Now celebrating 75 years in the Mission District of San Francisco. Visit buyrightmarket.com to learn more. Buyright is a proud business member of Heritage Radio Network, supporting good food media from coast to coast. We are back. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and I'm talking today with Amanda Hitt from the Government Accountability Project. We're discussing a new pork inspection model. It's not so new. It's actually been around for about 15, 16 years, I think, at least. Um, But uh, the um, pork industry is uh, working hard, lobbying heavily to have it uh, rolled out nationally. Um, And it's got a few, just a few flaws. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because the media industry, you know, is all over hemp, uh, not just because the line speed can be picked up uh, as part of the protocols, but also because um, the inspectors, whether they're USDA or whether they're in-house inspectors, are supposed to be um, swabbing for microbes more and, uh, you know, generally doing a better job of, of um inspection on the sort of cellular level um and 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 they call the 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 old HACCP plan and even the old inspection model is antiquated and something that we've been doing since the 1950s and isn't it time that we changed it so uh, you know why is uh why isn't i mean aside from the <laughs> from the problems that we've just discussed like if this were actually implemented in a more um conscientious way wouldn't it be a better plan do you think it's funny you you I, your little intro there you're 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 bringing it up like this this is you know all the swabbing and uh, all of that I, this is just new coke this is what this is this is this is a garbage product that they've yeah. called modern and they want everybody to buy into it because modern is hip and cool and it's just not so I mean everything about this 
this their their microbial testing is suspect. I mean, GAO already said they're they're working on fl- flawed data. They're working on a flawed baseline. So how can they gauge success if they don't know where they started? Right. So there's nothing about this that makes it particularly modern. I mean, it, it's you know you call it you said you know people call it antiquated, right? And, yes. And in the in the thing is that it's all poke and sniff, right? So I always, you can use swabs or you can poke and sniff, right? So, so the the poke and sniff the sniff model, I I think there's more to it than people than people think, and um, and that's just the actual presence of a USDA meat inspector, this outside enforcer inside of these plants, makes for a better, safer product. Mm-hmm. And there's no you know clinical evaluation. No one's written a you know an an, an, an academic paper on it, peer reviewed or anything like that. But there is something to be said by having a a a a, the the rule of law being in present in present in these in these facilities and if you don't you don't believe that you can look at the antiquated history of of the jungle and well what happens when right. when the, the foxes guard the hen house what what happens when you take away that that rule of law from from the wild west it it, it falls apart and i there's no part of me that thinks that the modern meat industry is any more together any more just any more fair than it than it was 100 years ago with upton sinclair there's no there's no part of me that thinks that in fact i think you know, I, I think that there's this important thing that people need to remember. So, so when you're dealing with a corporation, a corporation exists here and now and for the moment and for profit today, right. whereas an individual looks at the long-term ramifications. So this corporation isn't thinking, oh, there's going to be, what about the possibility of an outbreak? All they know is there's no outbreak right now and there's money to be made and it's profit before public health. And, and, and we need to have some guidance within those organizations or they will play fast and loose with our health and and, and I don't think that that's I don't think that's needed or necessary. I, I think we're we're if it if give me my old fashioned traditional inspection then. You know, I'm yeah. I'm quite confident with I'm confident that it's it's uh it's it's doing its job for a variety of reasons. Well, I, I don't see why they are mutually exclusive either, and that and no. that's sort of the interesting thing about this. It's like you know, why would you take USDA inspectors off the line? Okay, it's it's a money saving thing. And when Congress um, first got into the whole sort of let's cut the budgets for all of these agencies and food safety and inspection services was among uh, those that took some really serious hits to budget cuts. Um, in budget cuts. It, it, you know, sort of hemp is is kind of the logical extension of those cuts because they could eliminate, uh, I forget how many positions, but it was in the hundreds of USDA meat inspectors were, those jobs were eliminated as uh, more and more plants took on the hemp model. Um, The other thing that struck me about those affidavits, um, and I'm I'm looking for where I saw that, but there's a certain aspect as there is in so many of the USDA um, sort of subsets or sub-agencies um, of the revolving door. And one of the um, affidavits mentioned that uh, someone who, <clears throat> Elsa Moreno, who was part of the Food Safety and Inspection Services, uh, then went on to become a board member at Hormel. Now, was <laughs> which was worse, the chicken or the egg? Like, was yeah. she was she first on the board or was she first at FSIS? I don't know. You know, I isn't that the point that I just made? I mean, yes. nothing about this sounds more legitimate to me. It sounds like this. They talk about 
you know, all time ways. I mean, this sounds like this revolving door is just um, just really unsettling. So this woman, um, Moreno, she was she was the undersecretary mm-hmm. uh, for agriculture at, at USDA, and that's a very high. It, it might be the highest ranking food safety official because she at that time was in charge of the food safety inspection service, which is the which is the food safety inspection service is, is where inspe- meat inspectors fall under that. Right. So that's how they that's their chain of command. And my understanding about this, and I'm you know I'm not I'm not an expert on it, but my understanding was that um, while she was acting as undersecretary, she was busy uh, pushing this uh, this pork pilot program. Mm-hmm. And what she did is she got three out of the five pilot plants under Hormel. Then she leaves, mm-hmm. and then she gets this candy job yeah. um, on the, on the board. So I mean, do I know for a fact that there, there was a connection? No, but I you know I can I can read you know yeah. I can see that there's there's a there's a it seems to be a chain a, a chain of events that have occurred. Yes. Um, but yeah, so she pushes for something, and then it, it magically ends up in the hands of Hormel, and then she magically sits on the board of Hormel thereafter. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. It's very. I mean, <laughs> you tell me. There you should tell be. Me. I mean, here's another project for government accountability project, is and that is the revolving door between agencies and lobbyists, uh, you know, and board members. Uh, you know, really, there has to be some kind of legislation that uh, enforces at least a few years of waiting around before you can, you know, get that candy job. I mean, isn't there something, there's no legislation on the books now that protects, um, I shouldn't say protects, but that, that mandates that people who have worked for a corporation or worked for an agency can't then right go, you know, immediately, um, move from one place to the other and, and, uh, make out like bandits in the process. I mean, that, that's just plain wrong to me. Yeah, it is plain wrong, and it is actually it's something we're working on. We're we're slow in the process, but mm-hmm. one of the things we've gathered, it, you know, on a on a minor, on a, you know, maybe you're not you're not noticing it level because it happens at the at the micro level. The the USDA veterinarians, right, who who who's really oversee the inspectors, and yes. you know, in a way, right, in a way, they don't oversee, but they 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 they're the check on the inspectors. Yeah. So those guys will work for the USDA, retire from the. USDA, then start working for the plants itself, itself, and che- teach the plant how to game the the HACCP system. Oh they God. game the HACCP system, and that so on a on a plant by plant level, this is a this is a reality, and this is what we're we're hearing from from the from the ground is that you know these these veterinarians are are turning into plant employees after they retire. Right. So and that's and that's happening, and then you've got these larger level issues too with with lobbyists and everything like that, and. Um, and they're wielding a lot of power, and um, you know, I, I, I just, I, I, the meat industry is a, is a tricky place, and it, and if yes. you care about, you know, you care about this line speed thing, then you should, you, you know, if you want in on this, you're saying, oh, I'm, I'm upset about this, this hemp stuff, and it sounds really gross. Well, beyond just being really gross, twenty thousand pigs a day. Where did those come from? They come from these massive CAFOs that are polluting the environment. So you care mm-hmm. about the environment, you care about line speeds. You, 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 you want to, you, you like animals. You're vegan or vegetarian. You don't like the, the death of animals. Well, let me tell you what's happening. Twenty thousand pigs a day. You're getting in, inaccurate stunning. So a lot of these animals are yes. conscious. Conscious. 
<laughs> they're not they're not being rendered insensible. So and then you care about your you care about workers' rights. We care about all these plant workers that that don't even have the ability to blow the whistle effectively. They they have no power. They're powerless, and a lot of yeah. times they don't even speak the language. So right. and food safety, line speed affects everything and across the yes. board. And if you care about any of those things, you care about food integrity, and you and you can check us out at foodwhistleblower.org and sign this petition. Um, we we love the company. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Ted Genoways wrote that fantastic book that was published last spring, The Chain, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you read that. And Ted was a guest on the show actually a couple of times to talk about it. And, um, and you know, the book is, although it, it and, and it focuses on Hormel, actually, the whole book focuses on Hormel. Yeah. And, um, and what he especially brings to the fore in the book is... Um, the impact on the workers, on, on workers' rights, on, and on immigration reform. And, you know, all of these issues are so interconnected. It's like you can't, uh, you can't just say, well, I'm not going to eat meat, so therefore it doesn't affect me. I mean, no. it's, it's a way bigger problem. Um, you know, sort of it, it does have it does touch on so many aspects of day to day living, uh, particularly in the rural areas of the United States where uh, these large uh, confinement farms exist. Um, and that would be uh, in particular in Missouri, uh, in uh, North Carolina. Um, where you know pig farming has uh, reduced the quality of life just enormously, and and then you see issues. I'm sorry to take over like this, but and then you see issues like up in Des Moines where they have those the, the water issues, and in Toledo, and these are all attributed to agriculture, and many of them are coming, especially in the Des Moines area. Many of them are coming from um, <clears throat> from uh, from livestock agriculture, uh, and primarily pigs up there. So anyway. It's, you can't. So let, let's. We only have a few more minutes. Let us talk about whether or not you have seen. I tried to get Bill Marler, the uh, the food uh, safety attorney, to come on, but he was uh, traveling. But um, have we seen an uptick of foodborne illnesses since hemp uh, has been initiated, or have no studies been done as of yet? Well, it's a couple couple of factors. No studies have been done, mm-hmm. um, but also remember these these plants are retrofitting. Right. This is a pretty new thing. So we're, we haven't seen this adopt. We are saying it's gone. It's gone national, as in it's available nationally. But it, that how how fast these plants are actually converting over to hemp plants mm-hmm. is you know I I there are some that I know had had started, right. but um, but and, you know there's not like this massive. All we have to do is is do do a few quick changes and right. we can become hemp. So you're not going to see. You don't expect or anticipate um, outbreaks um, from hemp plants and, until. There, you see them, you know, fully integrated into into the system. So well, we yeah, hope that's not going to happen. <laughs> We hope, hope your petition is, is going to have some impact. Um, let's uh, let's move on from that topic because I, I feel like we sort of exhausted it. And I, I want to be sure that we get a chance to talk about um, your suit against Purdue. Um, I know listeners will remember that a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point, a uh, chicken farmer uh, opened up his barns to television crews and showed people what it's really like to be a contract worker for Purdue. Um, so tell us about that. Tell us about the suit you filed. Well, I, I got to tell you a little bit about Craig. Um, just Craig Watts is the farmer in question, and, and he's just an amazing man and so much courage. 
to to stand up and do this to let people film in his barns is just just amazing. He saw uh, you know he saw one of these Purdue commercials going on about mm-hmm. how great they are and how much you know their quality and and, and animal welfare standards and, right. and such. He just got pissed off and said, I'm, I'm, "He's like, I'm not going to be a part of this." Yeah. And um, he he allowed the cameras to come in. And when those cameras came in. Uh, it was a, an organization, uh, Compassion and World Farming. Was mm-hmm. they were the the ones that did the video, and um, and and I think they knew that they were potentially in some trouble, and they contacted um, the Government Accountability Project's Food Integrity Campaign to to represent Craig. And uh, sure enough, uh, Purdue did retaliate against Craig in in the form of um, these unannounced audits, just showing up on his farm, and, mm-hmm. and particularly showing up at times when he was not home to be a part of those audits. Um, just, just really uh, ridiculous, and and finding things. Oh yeah, you're, you're really messing up. Your light bulbs are dusty. I mean, that's literally some of the the nonsense that they mm-hmm. were pulling. And then they also put him on a performance improvement plan for his animal welfare work, and then the, the, some biosecurity training as well. But this per- performance improvement plan never has an end date. So I guess they're just going to perf- make him perform. Um, in, a, in, a, in a way that he doesn't know how to possibly meet. I mean, they're they're changing the standards all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's clearly retaliation. There's there's no more to it. Um, now I I would like to point out that to, to give Purdue. I I want to speak on on perhaps on behalf of. Purdue, they have made it clear that this is nothing more than a publicity ploy. So um, I'd like to I'd, I'd like to set the record straight. This is not a publicity ploy. This is making public a a, a problem, um, and um, that's that's systemic. And it's it's not. It wasn't just his one barn on one day that got filmed. This is how Purdue operates all around town. And um, this is the guy who who ha- had the guts to to speak about it, and we're we're just really um, we're really happy to represent him, and and we're 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 certain that um, that he he's uh, he's been retaliated against and and deserves his his uh, right to speak, and and we're going to get that for him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just just a pleasure to to work with Craig. Just I mean, he, he takes guts. I don't know if you've done any stuff on contract farming and contract growing, but. Um, it's just it's a, it's a, it's amazing. They call them serfs with mortgages. Yeah, I, I it's don't know a pernicious system. Term. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's an, yeah, it's just it's really something. So having a guy like Craig Watts speak up, it it just it's so meaningful to all of these farmers who have no voice and who can't who can't speak up on their own for fear of losing their their live, livelihoods. Yeah, so, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, really something. Uh, Chris Leonard came out with the Meat Racket last year. Uh, another yeah. guest, another former guest, and, and a really great book, a really really great book, and um, <clears throat> you know, laid out the whole contract farming thing, which is um, in. Poultry and pork is pretty much the model. Um, I think there are relatively few. I think poultry is almost completely contract farming, and uh, pork is fast becoming uh, similarly uh, organized in the sense that a company like Hormel or um, Smithfield or any of the other big pork producers um, will uh, write a contract with a farmer. Um, I'm just going to laid out so we can comment further on it but um um and then and then the uh and and 
develop protocols uh, and develop and de- deliver the uh, the piglets or the the sows or however they do it in pork um, or deliver the 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 poults for chicken and they and they mandate what the feed is they provide the feed uh, they insist on certain protocols in the barns and so forth and so on and then if you deviate from any of that and then and then as Chris uh, Leonard pointed out there's a whole sort of hierarchy uh, which may or may not be true in the in the uh, pork industry I don't know um, but uh, where where they are graded uh, from month to month mm-hmm. uh, or from flock to flock. And and did Craig speak to that, by the way, at all, when he was talking about his um, his experiences with Purdue? Because the meat racket focuses on the Tyson family and the Tyson empire primarily. Right, right. Well, it's the same. They're, they're, the, all the companies are pretty much the same. And mm-hmm. They're vertically integrated, and they operate in a way like, like but not as a monopoly. So they, they, what one does, the other does, and they, they pretty much are in lockstep. That's the poultry industry model. But when you're talking about what you were talking about, that grading system, I think I think you were referring to the tournament, yes. right? I think mm-hmm. you know exactly. they, they call it the tournament. Yes. The only the, the, in in our complaint and the, the way that the tournament comes up is. Um, uh, Craig was r- repeatedly at the top of the no- at the top of the scale in the uh-huh. tournament. So um, he he was never a quote unquote bad poultry farmer. He he was always meeting and exceeding um, uh, his his deliverables. So um, that that comes up, but we don't um, we don't question the the tournament method in uh-huh. our, in our complaint. Although I think it's questionable and worth looking into for for those who are curious about the the truth about poultry. Yeah, absolutely. So. And and so he hasn't been given like in in Chris's book uh some of the farmers were getting um you know animals that were not healthy and then they would die in droves and then they would uh, drop to the bottom of the tournament and then their contracts would be canceled and he hasn't experienced any of that in terms of retaliation, which is what well, I would have expected actually. Well, yes, actually. Uh I just uh he just sent me a picture over the weekend. He had uh had to call 800 birds. Oh, wow. um, and they all had leg deformities, and and so yeah, they'll they'll they they pull that screwy stuff. Like you know, you the the farmer has no 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 right, no say in what kind of uh, uh, chicks are delivered. Right. So if the if the company wants to to deliver a sick bunch of, of a sick flock, they mm-hmm. can. Yeah. And what is that going to do? That's going to ruin you in the in the the tournament, right? Because you 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 don't can't even you don't even have enough birds alive at the end of the at the at the end of the six weeks when which is all it takes to grow these guys. Right. Right. But um. But yeah. No. They. You know. That's that's new information. Actually, it doesn't appear in the complaint, but new information uh-huh. he uh, sent over the week. So that's part of their campaign of harassment is they're going to not only have these audits, but then they're also going to send him sick birds. And then, you know, assuming that the guy like everybody else has a giant uh, bunch of giant loans out, you know, he'll be going bankrupt soon enough. Listen, we do have to really wrap it up now, Amanda. This has been a pleasure as always. Um, Let's uh, let's uh, remind people of the Government Accountability Project, how you can learn more about it, uh, where to go online to uh, support you and um, and where to sign the petition. Well, just so you know that they, we've been around for 37 years supporting whistleblowers. We support all kinds of high-profile whistleblowers, including Edward Snowden. No matter how you feel about it, still nonetheless a high-profile high, high whistleblower mm-hmm. uh, that we represent. And as part of our, our work, we have a special program called the Food Integrity Campaign, which is dedicated to agricultural whistleblowing specifically and only. And uh, you can find us at foodwhistleblower.org, and you can also find a link to our petition there as well. 
That's great. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amanda. I, I love having you on. You're just like, you know, you got your issues, you know your stuff, and uh, and it's uh, and you're funny. <laughs> I like how you say I've got issues. That's no, great. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, we know that. No. <laughs> Anyway, thanks a lot for joining me today. And um, I'm going to actually be in D.C. this week, so maybe we can catch a catch a cup of tea or something like that. I'll Sounds give you a great. call. Okay, great. Thanks so much, right. and thanks to my sponsor, Byright. Uh, no Hormel pork there. So long, folks. Thanks a lot for listening. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.